Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Norman Bowie, in his essay, A Kantian Approach to Business Ethics, applies the third formulation of Kant's categorical imperative to business organizations. And just as a little reminder for those who aren't all that up on their Kant, how does the third formulation go? So act as if you were a member of an ideal kingdom of ends in which you were both subject and sovereign at the same time. And there's other formulations of it as well found in his work. It's a little bit more complex than the first two formulations, but what are some of the key ideas here? We are subject and sovereign at the same time. Subject means that we have the rules imposed upon us and we have to follow them. Sovereign means we get to make the rules. Now, it's not just us, but everybody else involved in the organization. A little bit later on in this section, Bowie will say that a Kantian views an organization, whether it's a business organization or anything else, as a moral community. Each member of the organization stands in a moral relationship to all the others. On the one hand, managers should respect the humanity and all the persons in the organization. On the other hand, each individual should view the organization other than purely instrumentally, not just as a place for them to get what they want, to extract their value out of it. They have to think of other people involved. And so part of what this means according to Bowie, is that the rules governing the organization itself, rules, policies, procedures, decisions, practices, need to be able to be endorsed by all. That means that there's going to have to be some measure, as he points out, of democratic decision-making. It can't just be all entirely top-down. And he's going to point out as well that one of the chief implications of Kant's ethics is a moral critique of authoritarian, hierarchical, organizational structures. That would be a problem. Now, he says that we have to consider the interests of all affected stakeholders, and that's going to be one of the very first of his principles. So let's talk about that. He says, the business firm should consider interests of all affected stakeholders in any decision it makes. Now, why does he say that? This is a straightforward requirement for any moral theory that takes respects for persons seriously. This would also be something that uh, a utilitarian could get behind or a virtue ethicist could get behind as well. The second one, he says, the firm should have those affected by the firm's rules and policies participate in the determination of those rules and policies before they are implemented. This goes a little bit further. This is in some respects quite revolutionary in requiring that those who are being affected, particularly the employees, by the rules and policies have some role in the discussion. It doesn't mean that they have to absolutely decide or that they have a veto on everything, but they have to be permitted to take part in that before the rules are implemented. Now, how then do we decide how to work out what rules to have? The third and fourth principle really figure into that. So he says that it should not be the case that for all decisions, the interests of one stakeholder automatically take priority. This could be tempting if we say upper management or the owners are the stakeholder for whom, you know, everything ultimately, they're the last resort, you could say. They're the ones that everything ultimately has to cater to and everybody else is kind of second class citizens, if, if you like, for that. That would be a, a fundamental problem. 
So Bowie says that, no, you can't do it like that. It could be that in many cases, the interest of one stakeholder would take priority. It could be that we take the automatic out of that and there's some sort of deliberative process where say the workers would say, well, you know, this person did put up all the money and they do have all the contacts. So maybe it is okay that we give them priority, but there cannot be an automatic assumption that that will be the case. And the fourth one rules out deciding things on purely utilitarian grounds. He says, when a situation arises where it appears that the interest of one set of stakeholders must be subordinated to the interests of another set of stakeholders, which is very commonly the case, is it not, in business decisions? That decision should not be made solely on the grounds that there's a greater number of stakeholders in one group than another. I think that we could actually add to this and say that perhaps we should also rule out one group being given automatic priority on the basis of prestige or social standing in some respect. So this is important because it says, again, you can't just like do a poll or see who's being affected on utilitarian grounds. You have to actually think this through on Kantian grounds. The fifth one, pretty straightforward for Kantian capitalism. No business rule or practice can be adopted, which is inconsistent with the first two formulations of the categorical imperative. So, you know, for example, the, the practice of renegotiating contracts under duress, clearly a violation of both the first and second formulation of the categorical imperative. Can't do that, right? Requiring employees to not take overtime hours when there's more work to be done. So not allowing them to bill overtime hours as overtime hours, doing sort of creative payroll accounting, that would be ruled out. That would violate both, again, the first and second formulation of the categorical imperative. And we can think of many other examples as well. The last two rules have to do with the requirements for the firm, you could say outside of the firm itself, although it would also include that. So the sixth one says every profit-making firm has a limited but genuine duty of beneficence. And here he's got a really interesting discussion about this that's worth looking at. He says, if corporations have benefited from society, they have a duty of beneficence to society in return. So there's an if then, and then he says, corporations have indeed benefited. How? Society protects corporations by providing means for enforcing business contracts. It provides infrastructure, which allows the corporation to function. What do these include? Roads, sanitation facilities, police and fire protection, an educated workforce is part of that very infrastructure. And he says, few would argue that corporate taxes pay the full cost of these benefits. Uh, this is particularly acute in our time when some of the largest corporations pay very little corporate taxes because of the way they have uh, used the code. So that's an important issue. He, notice he doesn't say universal beneficence. It's a limited requirement and it's up to the company where they want to devote those beneficent acts or services or products or anything like that. But they really do have a duty under Kant's view. Then the seventh one, he says, this is a procedural principle. And he says, every business firm must establish procedures to ensure that relations among stakeholders are governed by rules of justice. Now notice, he's not just saying every firm must run its internal discussions or its external you know, engagements in such a way as they meet the requirements of rules of justice. It goes a little bit further than that. Every firm must establish procedures. They have to 
set down some sort of rules, some sort of policy that makes sure that justice is actually going to be observed in the relation between the different stakeholders. This is central to the company being a moral community. And it's central to this, this formulation where we are both subject and sovereign, and we have to create rules that show us how things are going to be done. So this is how the third formulation of the categorical imperative would apply to business organizations, according to Bowie. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.